in a society that doesn't care about what you think or what you know, but only what you can prove in a court of law. Welcome to the show that has an opinion on just about everything criminal justice. No, he's not a lawyer. No, he's not a counselor. He's only armed with his opinion and a plethora of knowledge in the criminal justice system. Here's the host of What You Think Doesn't Matter, Chris Thorne. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of What You Think Doesn't Matter. This week, we're going to dive into the Brianna Taylor case that happened back in March of 2020. For those of you that don't know who Brianna Taylor was, Miss Taylor was the unfortunate victim of an officer-involved shooting during the execution of a no-knock warrant at her address. Uh, the investigation pers- ensued, and then afterwards, there were a lot of things that were discovered, which resulted in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, offering Miss Taylor's family a $12 million settlement based on a wrongful death suit. So when we come back, we're going to dive into the details of everything that happened. We'll go back in history to where this situation started, and we'll give you some ideas on what led up to the application and issuance of that warrant. Then we'll also go into detail through the execution of the warrant, what happened that fateful night. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the post-incident investigation. What did the investigators find after the shooting took place, and what was the result? And we're going to talk about everything that led up to the actual settlement offer by LMPD. So grab your coffee, have a seat, and hang on tight. When we come back, we'll get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Let's go ahead and jump into our imaginary time machine and take a trip Back to 2016. In fact, to be more specific, we're going to go back to December of 2016, in which the Louisville Metropolitan Police Department was dispatched to a homicide investigation. That homicide investigation was in response to a dead person inside a vehicle, that was determined to be a rental car in the name of Miss Brianna Taylor, which is kind of interesting in my opinion. Um, because why would Brianna Taylor have a rental car with a dead guy in it? Okay. Um, come to find out that the dead person in her car was the brother of a known associate that was, at that time, Miss Taylor's boyfriend, who is identified as Jamarcus Glover. Jamarcus Glover is the hot target of this drug interdiction investigation. He's the main guy. He's the one that the PD is after because he's suspected of being the kingpin in this drug trafficking scheme that's going on in the neighborhood. And over a period of about four years, between December 3rd, 2016, and the night of March 13th, 2020, when the no-knock warrant was issued, Glover was identified through both video surveillance and, and physical surveillance as having interaction between Miss Taylor's address and three other addresses in the neighborhood. 
those three other addresses being what are called trap houses or known drug houses. Mr. Glover was using Miss Taylor's address as a drop point for his product. He would have his product delivered to Miss Taylor's address, and at which point he would pick up his product and distribute it to his trap houses from there. Um, Mr. Glover and his associates have been known to use Miss Taylor's vehicle uh, on multiple occasions uh, to conduct their business. So there's, there's a lot of connection going on here. Okay. Between Mr. Glover and uh, Miss Taylor. Um, am I saying any of this to vindicate the death of Miss Taylor? No, I'm not. I'm just trying to put the facts of the case out there and let you, my intelligent, loyal listeners determine for yourself what's media hype and what is real. So onward we go. So during that time of this drug interdiction investigation, Mr. Glover and his known associates had been arrested on several occasions for various violations, such as uh, possession of guns, possession of marijuana, cocaine, um, and other assorted drug paraphernalia and surveillance uh, systems. So he's been in and out of jail for these violations several times. And another big coincidence that I see here is that Miss Taylor is listed as the one posting bond for Mr. Glover. Many times he had been incarcerated in jail. Uh, it was shown that Miss Taylor was putting up the money for him to get out. Now, was it Glover's drug money that was being used to post his bond? Or was it Miss Taylor's measly income as an EMT posting bond? I'm thinking that... Uh, Miss Taylor was using Mr. Glover's drug money to get him out of jail. But that's just my opinion. Um, there's nothing in the investigation that says that that's actually what's happening. But based on some of the transcripts from the phone call logs that are in the investigative folder, I'd be willing to put that together just based on my experience and knowledge of investigating crimes. So that's another big coincidence right there. So, but uh, bottom line here is Mr. Glover, the hot target, is just a, a giant shit bag. He's a career shit bag, career criminal, in and out of jail all the time, all for drugs and money and guns. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump back into the present time and we'll head on into uh, March 13th, 2020, which is the night of the no-knock warrant. A no-knock warrant. Let's go ahead and identify that for what some people may not understand what it means. Basically, a no-knock warrant, search warrant, is exactly just that. It's a search warrant that is issued by a judge stating that the officers can arrive at whatever address or location that is prescribed on the warrant and go ahead and conduct a search of that resident or item or property without announcing their presence. And that is done usually because there is a high probability of risk involved um, when conducting that search. Uh, the risk that if the occupants of the building know it's the police, they may try to stall and hesitate and create some type of ambush plan to uh, attack the cops when they enter, or they can stall and delay the entry of the cops um, to destroy evidence. Um, and in most cases, if that is a high probability, then a no-knock warrant will be approved and issued uh, 
which allows the police to go ahead and execute that warrant without first identifying themselves or knocking their announcement. Okay. Um, and it, there, in order to get a no-knock warrant, though, there is a higher level of probable cause that has to be presented. And then a no-knock warrant can only be issued during prescribed hours, according to local statute or laws. And in a lot of cases, can only be executed by a SWAT team. Okay, a no-knock warrant in many jurisdictions can only be executed by a SWAT team. A standard search warrant can be issued any time of the day or night by any group of officers that are on duty. There's no limitation as to how to execute a standard search warrant. Um, the only difference is a standard search warrant requires the officers to make their presence known by knocking and announcing that they're there, announce that they have a search warrant, and give ample opportunity for them to respond to the notice um, before taking extreme measures and banging in and crashing in the door to make entry. That is the difference between a regular search warrant and a no-knock warrant. And the no-knock warrant has to be clearly specified in the warrant itself, and it has to be signed off by the judge. Okay? So now, getting back to uh, March 13, 2020. Prior to the uh, execution of the warrant, the SWAT team commander and all the search teams had a briefing. They were going to be executing three warrants simultaneously at the same time at the three addresses that were identified during the drug interdiction investigation. And one of those addresses being that of Brianna Taylor's address. Okay, so all three of them were going to be conducted at the same time. You had SWAT teams on two of the addresses, then you had uh, the narcotics team, and with assistance from other agencies on at Miss Taylor's house. Okay, now intelligence provided indicated that the possible presence of a child in the house of where Miss Taylor was at. Okay, so now with that information being available. The officers on scene at Miss Taylor's house, after they had been given the green light to go ahead and, and, and execute the warrant, the sergeant who was in command of the entry team, the search team, made the decision to go ahead and conduct a knock and announce issuance to identify their presence on the information that there may be a child present. So they had to take extra caution when executing this warrant to ensure that anybody, especially a child, um, was not hurt during the execution. Okay. So based on that Intel and the Intel, the Intel had not been confirmed as to whether or not there was a child there. So they were erring on the side of caution. Let's go ahead. Even though it's a no knock warrant, let's go ahead and knock and announce our presence. According to officer statements, they at least three times knocked and announced that they had a search warrant, that they were the police and gave them ample time to respond to the door. Nobody responded to their knocks. Nobody responded to their announces, except for a neighbor upstairs from the apartment they were trying to get into. Their knocks and their announces were so loud that the upstairs neighbor uh, popped their head out their door, got into a verbal altercation with the police officers downstairs, and at which point the cops downstairs told the resident upstairs to get back into their apartment in which that resident did so. 
So now that they had taken that distraction away, they were focused back on the door again. Okay. So they do another knock and announce one more time. Um, One of the officers on the team stated that he had heard movement inside the house. So that verified that there were people present. And so the sergeant at that point in time, after waiting, go ahead and gave the order to use the ram to knock the door down so that they can gain entry into the apartment. And so they did. So the officer who was on the ram went ahead and hit the door. And on the third strike, the door gave and they were going in. The sergeant was the first one in through the door across the threshold. And he was able to identify two people at the end of a dark hallway. Uh, One of the person they were standing, as he said, parallel with each other side by side. And he was able to identify one person in what's referred to as a shooter stance in which he had both of his hands out in front of him. And he was able to identify this person as holding a gun. In that same very instant, the sergeant said, something's not right here. And he expressed in his statement that in all the years he's been doing entries and warrant executions, this one was different. He recognized it was something different. The next thing you know, he saw a flash of light and he felt pain in his leg or a warm sensation in his leg. He knew he'd been hit. And at which point he returned and he fired four to five shots in return to the shot that was fired at him. And that's kind of when all hell breaks loose at that point. Okay. At that point in time, there's a bunch of screaming going on. There's a bunch of shouting going on. The shots are going off. Everything is deafening. You got the, you got the muzzle flashes inside a dark room. So that's screwing with people's vision. The sound of the guns discharging is screwing with people's hearing. Um, they were able to actually get out of the line of fire, get the Sergeant that was hit to safety and take cover. Okay. Uh, through the officer's statement, through or through the sergeant's statement, he stated he heard some shooting. Then he heard a pause. He doesn't know how long the pause was, and then he heard some more shooting. Okay. Once the shooting was done, you can hear through the audio of the various body cams that were on scene as the shots fired call went out. An officer started showing up you could hear the commands being given to the shooter named Kenneth Walker. He was the other person in the resident with Ms. Taylor. Okay. Verbal commands are being given to Mr. Walker to come out and surrender. And uh, you can hear on audio officers asking him um, who shot, who shot. And he responded with she shot and then he kicked the gun under the bed. She fired and he kicked the gun under the bed. You hear that several times. Um, Mr. Walker also stated uh, during his uh, interview that while he was being given directions to come out of the apartment to surrender and while he was being taken into custody, he had made a couple of phone calls uh, to some people, one of them being Miss Taylor's mother. And so basically while he's being arrested, and being given verbal commands to surrender, he's talking to Miss Taylor's mother. And that's all been corroborated and verified through phone records and, and witness statements. Now, another question that was raised during the execution of the warrant um, was the 
lack of response from EMS or medical to respond to Miss Taylor. The media had alleged, and I don't know where they got this information from, that Miss Taylor may have still been alive and that police and medical negligently failed to respond to render aid to her and could have possibly saved her life. Well, we will get into the the uh, autopsy report later on to identify exactly how the bullets struck Miss Taylor and which bullets were fatal, which were not. But and we can make an educated guess as to whether or not the the time frame holds up. But anyhow, they're laid. They're alleging that there was a lack of aid given, and that uh, the officer should have. Uh, tended to miss Brianna Taylor and that there was a chance that she could have survived had they rendered first aid immediately. Well, let me tell you how first aid goes when it comes to an officer involved shooting. Okay. Have I been involved in an officer involved shooting personally? No, I have not. I have responded after the fact to officer involved shootings, but I personally have not been involved in one, but I can tell you that during an officer involved shooting after all the shit settles, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to get their injured officers out first while at the same time securing the scene because EMS may have been staged to go in in the case of injuries during the execution of a warrant. They are not going to go into the scene while it's still hot and they're only going to go in after the cops have relayed to them that it's safe for them to do so. So, with that being said, the cops are going to tender to their own. They're going to secure the scene, and then they're going to go into the building to secure it and establish whether or not medical is needed for any victims that may be inside the building. Okay. Now, when the SWAT medics, who are advanced medics, advanced training in EMS, arrived on scene, they got to Miss Taylor, and at which point she was pronounced deceased. Okay. Is that the fault of the cops for failing to render aid? That's an opinion. I'm going to leave that up to you. But in in the real world, it's going to go. Get the cops out. Get them safe. Render treatment to your fellow cops. Secure the scene. And then get EMS in there to provide aid if it's safe to do so. And it's going to happen in that order. Period. Because the bottom line is cops are not going to be effective to save other lives if they're dead themselves. So they got to preserve their own lives before they can help preserve other lives. That is how it's going to go. Okay. So now with that being said, I'm not going to give a whole lot of merit to the argument that uh, aid was delayed uh, on purpose and that she could have been saved because the autopsy report that we'll get into later on in the episode is going to contradict all that. All right. But in a nutshell, because of the wounds that Miss Taylor received, there was a very low survivability based on the types of wounds she received. That's all I'm going to say about that until we get into that later on down the road. All right. With all that being said, we are about out of time with this week's episode of What You Think Doesn't Matter. Tune in next time as I come up with another topic of discussion in which I express my opinion and feelings about what's going on in the criminal justice system. And as always, if you want to reach out to us, you can send us an email at wytdm at yahoo.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
If you like this episode or you like the show, please feel free to like, share, and follow us to receive updates on what's going on with the show and our future avenues. Till next time, uh, be good, be safe, and remember, what you think doesn't matter.